Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking baseball. We are starting at the very beginning of Northanger Abbey today when the narrator is describing Catherine Moreland's interests as a younger girl and teen. There is a lot of tongue-in-cheek commentary about how Catherine is not an obvious heroine. She's almost pretty, as opposed to (laughs) ravishingly beautiful. And that her parents are nice, good-tempered people and not at all inclined to lock her away in a dungeon or something. (laughs) She's also not one for the typically expected ladylike accomplishments of the time, like playing the pianoforte or drawing... Aside from this great description where the narrator's like, she, you know, kind of like to draw the occasional tree or farm animal, but they all basically look the same. Her narrator is so cheeky in this novel, and I love it. Instead, Catherine is interested in sports and outdoor pursuits, which is not something you would see with your stereotypical gothic heroine. So here's what we get from the book where it's talking about Mrs. Moreland's reflection about, about how she's raising her children. And it says, her elder daughters were inevitably left to shift for themselves. And it was not very wonderful that Catherine, who had, by nature, nothing heroic about her, should prefer cricket, baseball, riding on horseback, and running about the country at the age of 14, to books, or at least books of information, for, provided that nothing like useful knowledge could be gained from them, provided they were all story and no reflection, she had never any objection to books at all. Catherine Moreland walking right past the nonfiction section. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Obviously... Obviously, one of the number one reasons you listen to this podcast is to get cutting-edge sports commentary. (laughs) Or probably not. We sincerely hope not. But we thought this episode, and you know what? Full disclosure here, Zan thought, because I don't know anything about sports ball. (laughs) Zan thought this would be seasonally appropriate since the Major League Baseball season opener is right around the corner. And I think we also need to clarify that while we will be talking about some of the history of baseball in the UK, that's kind of the, the heavy bulk of what we're talking about here, there is no straightforward narrative of a single sport history. So we're not even really scratching the surface of bat and ball sports history in this episode, especially since this passage also alludes to cricket, which is another complex bat and ball sport with its own very specific history. And there are other popular offshoots of baseball, such as rounders, that come from this period as well. So for this episode... We're just staying with the baseball reference. We will definitely cover cricket and for sure that reference to riding on horseback Mm -hmm. that is in that quote in future episodes. Also, I will say if you are listening and happen to be in that overlap of people who are into Jane Austen and also happen to be a cricket historian, just get in touch. Hit us up, please. This reference to baseball in Northanger Abbey is often a bit of a surprise to readers since it is coming from a novel that was written in the late 1790s and therefore predates the American historical narrative that baseball was invented by Abner Doubleday around 1840. There were actually many different bat and ball games that proliferated before the standardized game of baseball as we know it today, and Austin's reference in her novel is not the first example of these bat and ball games being referred to as baseball. And while it might seem obvious that Austin is not the first person to call a game like this baseball, there was actually for a moment in Austin's scholarship, a moment where this wasn't a given. So for several years, 
the second edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, which was published in 1989, listed Jane Austen's usage of baseball in Northanger Abbey as the first textual example in their entry for baseball. And so there was a micro-trend in Austen studies to claim that Austen had perhaps coined the word baseball. However, according to an etymology article from Merriam-Webster, quote, the OED never made any claim that Austen invented the word, but that did not stop a number of people from assuming that this somewhat improbable event had happened. We do not know who first compounded the nouns base and ball any more than we know who first took a stick and hit a ball with it. We may never have the answer to the question of where baseball comes from, and should perhaps come to terms with the words enduring mystery. If you feel the need of having some degree of certainty in this matter, there is one thing that we can tell you with finality. Jane Austen did not invent it. Just, you know, case closed on that one. Merriam-Webster has feelings about this. (laughs) And it's important to point out that since the, the 1989 edition of the OED was published, the dictionary has now added several references that predate Austen's allusion in Northanger Abbey. And there are a few examples of the hyphenated term baseball, which appears as early as the 1740s, though there is still a little bit of gray area here. The term was supposedly used as early as 1744 in the first edition of the published work, A Pretty Little Pocketbook. The reason we can't be certain is that there are no existing copies of the first edition. Historians feel pretty sure it was in that book, but the earliest surviving edition of the book is actually the 10th edition from 1760. And so in the 1760s edition, there is actually a small rhyme titled Baseball and and actually an illustration as well of individuals playing the game. So here is the rhyme. The ball once struck off, away flies the boy, to the next destined post, and then home with joy. (laughs) Yay, baseball rhymes. (laughs) But it does actually have the illustration as well. and, And it does depict three children standing next to posts that are being used as bases. And one of them is actually holding a a ball. That's right, like posts. So it wasn't just baseball as we know it. It was apparently also an obstacle course. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) David Block, the author of the award-winning book, Baseball Before We Knew It, A Search for the Roots of the Game, points out that while the text doesn't give us massive insight into how the game was played, the illustration does help. He writes, A pretty little pocketbook reveals that baseball in its day was a multiple base activity in which the objective was to strike the ball, run around the bases, and return home. The similarity to our modern game is extraordinary considering the book is more than 250 years old. The major desperate element, of course, is the absence of a bat. Yeah, so he's, he's kind of doing some deductive work based on that entry. There's another potential allusion to baseball, and it comes from the November 14th, 1748 letter written by Mary Lapel, also known by her title, Lady Hervey. And we have a record of the letter since her collected letters were published in book form in 1821. But again, we don't have the original copy. But in, you know, in the publication, this is what it says. Um, so Lady Hervey was a close friend of the royal family. And in her letter, she describes the activities of the Prince of Wales's family. And this is the quote from her letter. Now, in the winter, in a large room, they divert themselves at baseball, a play all who are or have been schoolboys are well acquainted with. So I see my mother (laughs) cringing, (laughs) cringing at the idea of a ball game being played in the house when we were younger. That was just kind of a constant reframe. No balls in the house. So like this allusion here is making me laugh. But since this is a royal family, you know, who knows what kind of indoor space they had for this. I think a massive ballroom might have been, you know, 
easily able to con- accommodate a compressed indoor ball game like this. But but still, you know, the breakables. Ah! <laughs> Smashing the mirrors. It's all good. There are other allusions to baseball that predate Austin, but we wanted to share one last particularly delightful example. And this reference was discovered and verified in 2013 in part by David Block. The reference comes from the diary of William Bray, his entry for Easter Monday, which to clarify was and is an observed holiday, depending on your religion, and a public holiday in certain countries today. His entry for Easter Monday, March 31st, 1755, reads as follows. Went to Stoke Church this morn. After dinner, went to Miss Jeels to play at baseball with her, the three Miss Whiteheads, Miss Billinghurst, Miss Molly Flutter, Mr. Chandler, Mr. Ford, H. Parsons, and Jolly. Drank tea and stayed till eight. (laughs) Good old times. I love it. What a party. Played some baseball, had some tea, (laughs) home by eight. I mean, that's how I like to entertain. That is a brilliant activity. It sounds great. Everybody home by eight. (laughs) I'm into it. So David Block points out that despite, um, and this is, this is a quote from his writing, he says, despite its brevity, this early reference offers some tidbits of information that help inch forward our understanding of baseball at its infancy. And here's a summary of his conclusions. He points out that Bray, when he wrote this, this diary entry, was only 18 or 19 at the time. And from other entries in his diary, we know that the people that he's referencing here are also young adults. So this tells us that baseball wasn't just for children in the 1750s. In the Pretty Pocket book, it kind of describes it as a children's activity, but by 1750, we are seeing this kind of specific allusion to young adults doing, playing this game. Next, this reference also mentions young women as well as men playing. So it was, at this time, acceptable for women to play. And this is a big point to draw attention to, since it kind of explains why Catherine is not curtailed from playing baseball, even as a 14 or 15-year-old girl. Right. I mean, you can really, this is just like a wholesome courting event, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and it's actually kind of the, main, the, third, the third point that Block is making here is that baseball, and this is a quote from his work as well, baseball was more of a social phenomenon than a sporting one. So basically he's saying like Bray's group of friends, including men and women, often gathered at different homes and estates and used activities like baseball in the same spirit as entertaining with like card games or dancing, playing bowls, anything like that. So baseball... And this is, again, a quote from his piece. Baseball seems to have been, among these pastimes, something that was played for social entertainment rather than serious competition. So, yeah, it, it's like you can get your flirt on while you're playing baseball. <laughs> you can't always just get an impromptu dance going. You know, we don't all always have a Sir John Middleton here ready to just yes. make a dance happen with no prior notice. But you, know, you might be able to get a, a little game of baseball together and drink some tea and home by eight. Come on. <laughs> And I do like that idea that it is that it's a socially acceptable way for young adults to just play. This context work helps explain a little bit more of why why it's such a fun sport to play for Catherine. Further illustrating this point about baseball as a game for everyone during this time, writer John Wilson says, Baseball in those early days did not include bats. The ball was soft and was struck by hand. It was played by girls as well as boys and by adults as well as children and youth. Games could last a long time and evidently were often as much an occasion for socializing as for competition. Beyond the bare bones of the game, that it included running to bases and returning home, we still know very little. So connecting this back to Northanger Abbey, we can see that Catherine playing baseball 
would have been pretty typical for this time, especially as she comes from such a large family where team sports make a lot of sense as a way to pass the time with your siblings. She is arguably the most active and possibly athletic of Austin's heroines, although we have to nod to Elizabeth Bennett's (laughs) fondness for walking. She does walk three miles, no big deal, completing that 5K to Netherfield (laughs) like it's nothing. Somebody please make a 5K to Netherfield (gasps) t-shirt. Yes. Oh my gosh. Let's make that merch happen. We need this. That has to be a race, right? (laughs) It should be. Oh my goodness. But this brief reference to baseball does actually tell us a little bit about Catherine Moreland. So according to Joanne Citron in her article, Running the Base Paths, Baseball in Jane Austen, Austen uses baseball as an image of general activity. Playing baseball is one among many things Catherine prefers to reading. So it seems like Citron is saying that Austen includes this reference in order for Catherine to show a more drastic transition from the rambunctious girl to a young woman who can succeed in bath society. So she needs to move from loving baseball exclusively to loving books and social intrigue enough to make the whole gothic novel satire play out in the larger narrative. Although, as we have learned, baseball could definitely work as a device for socializing amongst young people Mm -hmm. and for possibly meeting your very own Henry Tilney, (laughs) even if it's perhaps a little less dramatic than a romantic moment in a ballroom. Oh, I don't know, Diane. Have you seen Fever Pitch? I mean... Somebody write the modern Northanger Abbey rom-com, but it's they meet playing baseball. Mm-hmm. But certainly in terms of what Austen is trying to do in setting up the contrast between Catherine's younger self and her personality as she sets off for Bath, and in drawing comparisons between Catherine's interests and that of the typical gothic heroine of the time, the interest in baseball and other outdoor pursuits works really well for that. Yeah, definitely. She does have this kind of like rambunctious energy to her as a young young yes. girl. And I think that's a really exciting thing to see our heroine kind of grow up through that, right? Well, especially as Austin is juxtaposing it against this idea of what the stereotypical heroine in a novel might be. Yeah. She's writing Catherine as a very realistic mm-hmm. <laughs> girl of her time, you know, mm-hmm. who would be engaging in these kinds of activities and maybe not just be longing to learn French and... <laughs> You know, wistfully playing the pianoforte all day long while she stares dreamily out the window, you know? Fantasying about the French countryside. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with... Any of those activities. Any of those activities. But those are more what you might see in a a heroine of a book of this time. And instead, Catherine is kind of like, I just want to play baseball and go horseback riding and hang out. Yeah. And I really do love how this frames Catherine as a very physical character, since she's part of a large family. And she likes to play these more elaborate games like cricket and baseball. I mean, that resonates for me because I've lived a version of this. I'm from a large family, middle of seven, and I can attest to the range of possible iterations baseball can take when you only have the the six or seven players to work with. Especially, you know, if you're talking about the range of ages that you're working with as well, you know, from four to however old we were. I definitely remember playing baseball with my siblings in our yard and having to get really creative. I think we generally had everyone fielding at once while a single person was at bat, but then there were still teams and points. I'm not quite sure how that worked out. (laughs) But what that does say to me is that this stays true to that idea that Block was pointing out in terms of baseball in the 18th century. And that is that it was more about playing with your siblings. It's that socialization. It's more about those things than it was about the athleticism, keeping track of points or being competitive. Although, you know, again, with a team of My seven siblings, you know, different siblings might remember the competition differently. (laughs) But one of the things I also love 
about the 2007 adaptation of Northanger Abbey is that the opening sequence actually dedicates a short clip to a depiction of baseball. And again, it's with her playing with her family. So it's not a bat-free version that Block describes, but instead they're using something like a cricket bat. And they definitely show Catherine hitting the ball and then rounding bases. It's definitely not cricket. She's running like these little posts in the ground. And she hits a home run. And since it's an early sequence, this is also used as a montage to show her growing from a girl to a young woman in a very quick succession. And I can definitely picture Henry and Catherine and their future children at Woodston someday just playing their own game of baseball. So (laughs) I'm sure Catherine will pass this on to the next generation. Oh, definitely. And I I think Tilney would be down. I think that this would be definitely a team sport they could get, they could have some fun (laughs) with. Well, we hope you have enjoyed this journey into sport with us. You can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And listener Lisa tweeted at us in regards to our Regency Birthdays episode saying, just discovered, totally love your podcast. Listen to the one on birthdays tonight. There's one instance I know of when J.A. does mention a birthday celebration, but it's in her juvenilia. And Lisa also asked if we were planning to cover the juvenilia in future episodes. The answer to that is yes, absolutely. We are planning to eventually cover more of these lesser known works in standalone or biographical episodes. Our list is very long. Very, so very long. (laughs) It's very long, but we are planning on it. As far as the specific birthday reference, that is a really great reminder to not overlook the juvenilia. It's true that in pulling our examples and references for the show, we have pretty deliberately focused on the main novels. Mm -hmm. I think mostly because we assume that's what most listeners would be familiar with and have context for, but you're absolutely right. We should not ignore these juvenilia gems. Right. So Lisa, we're guessing the reference you're thinking of is the one from Jack and Alice, and it's at the very beginning of the piece, and it reads, Mr. Johnson was once upon a time about 53. In a 12th month afterward, he was 54 which so much delighted him that he was determined to celebrate his next birthday by giving a masquerade to his children and friends. Which, you know, in my mind, that is a party I wish to be invited to. Like, (laughs) I will go to this masquerade birthday party for children and friends. I'm in. Absolutely. Sign me up. (laughs) I think it can be a bit tricky when we're using some of these examples from the juvenilia because Austin isn't necessarily going for realism Mm -hmm. in her early works. There's often a pretty heightened comedic effect going on. Yeah, she's she's definitely going for cheeky, yeah. Yes, that's for sure. But definitely, we will try to do a better job of not overlooking these pieces when we're working on episodes and at least, you know, give them the mention when it's relevant. Yeah. So, Lisa, thank you so much for your thoughtful tweet and for reaching out with this reminder. We very much appreciate it. And stay tuned for our next episode, where we will be talking about Edward Ferris's hair ring with our guest, Dr. Sally Holloway. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.